All right, here we go. Hello, and welcome to Flushing Transit Authority, a New York Mets podcast. I'm Will Stegman, and with me as always is Jay Bushman. We're still Mets fans, but we're listening to offers from other teams. And I got to tell you, the phone has been ringing off the hook in my front office. I don't know about yours. You know, maybe my phone's been disconnected. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. I've been, look, I'm, I'm a free agent. Any team wants to make an offer, I'll listen. Like, I'm not looking for another team, but if it were to happen, well, you know what? You can't fight that. That's just part of the game. It's, it's just got to be a professional and go do the job uh, where, where you're sent. Well, speaking of doing the job, this is the part of the job that I don't like. Um, I have a correction um, for a mistake that we made, and there's just no way around it. I'm going to have to just get to this. In a previous episode, we stated that no team in the history of baseball had ever blown a seven-game lead with with 17 games to go. I mean, we were pretty confident in that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're like, there's no way this has happened. We've been around it's, for a long time. It's impossible. If, if something like that had happened, we would, we would absolutely remember that. Right. Well, it turns out we were mistaken. Did you know that the 2007 Mets did just this? And we've been spending the last decade trying to forget about it. Um, I, I still, I don't believe it. I think you're, you're going to need a correction to your correction because I, I, I would certainly remember being scarred by a collapse of that magnitude. Yeah. So it can't have happened. It just, I, I refuse to believe it. I mean, I would never stop talking about it. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, I think it's important to recognize that trauma responses are there to protect you. If you forget about it, it's because it was so bad that you just could not handle the memory. So let's, let's, maybe we should, maybe we should, honor that impulse and and not dwell on it well it's weird because the last thing that i remember about 2007 was i was in new york city in september um around september 15th or 16th and i remember standing outside of a bar with another mets fan looking at the standings and saying oh there's no way they're not going to win this what are the phillies going to pass them (laughs) <laughs> and as, as far as I know, that's what happened. The Mets won the World Series that year. <laughs> and we're just waking up now to, to learn that. Well, what happened in, because I know, right, let's just assume they won the World Series in 2007. What happened in 2008? Well, they repeated the winning the World Series as a great way to close out the run of Shea Stadium, obviously. Was, that's, you know what? I don't know how I forgot that. Yeah. Man, it's been a, well, look, you know what? <laughs> 10 years is a long time. I really have to start going back through some old emails to find out what was I doing that I missed the fact that we won consecutive World Series in 2007 and 2008. I'll uh, dig into that later. If we, if we have to wake up from that beautiful dream, and perhaps we do, um, I, did, I did actually spend some time uh, this week trying to remember like what I remember of of the you know capital G capital C great collapse of 2007 and and I do you know all joking aside I do realize I did realize that I have forgotten most of the specifics of what happened but the one thing I do remember um, because I don't think I've ever seen a single player's tenure with a team change because of one day. But if you'll recall, the final game of that season was started by Tom Glavin, who was in the last year of his, what, three or four years with the Mets. And I remember it was weird when the Mets got Glavin because he's a brave. He's like part of that 90s brave team that killed us year in, year out, and how it was kind of strange to see him in a Mets uniform. And then we kind of got used to it, but I don't think we ever did. And there was always that kind of voice in the back of our head that was like, he's been on the team for three years. He's been on the team for four years, but is he really one of us? And he went out and started the last game of that season where they needed to win. And he gave up something like seven runs in the first inning and the game was over that early. And I remember like the entire Mets fan base was like, you know what? You're still a brave. You did that on purpose. (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. All kidding aside. Yeah. I remember that terrible ending. Um, 
you know, it was weird. A number of things were weird about the Glavin tenure. Um, but I always felt like when Glavin got to 299 wins, they should have just sent him back to the Braves. Because yes. it's weird to think that Tom Glavin won his 300th game as a, as a member of the New York Mets. When you answer trivia questions at some point in the future, who's going to get that right? Yeah. Um, it's up there with, you know, what Tom Seaver winning his 300th game as a member of the White Sox. And I, if I'm correct, I think Randy Johnson won his 300th, maybe as a member of the Giants? That's, that sounds like it might be right, yeah. Sir, he didn't win it in any of his, his major stops. This was definitely, no. you know, towards the end of his career. It's really weird, and, and the trade deadline makes me think about that. You know, you think about players that you don't remember seeing on those teams. It's, it's always a weird thing. Like, I saw a shot the other day of, of Tom Seaver in a Red Sox uniform. Oh, yeah, that's just wrong. Um, other Mets, Daryl Strawberry in a San Francisco Giants uniform. Yeah, I, I, I have no memory of that. I think he played about 30 games for them in 94. Wow. And then the strike happened, and, and that was the end of that, and he didn't go back to the next year. Um, that's weirder than seeing Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden in Yankee uniforms, which I yeah. still am not prepared to talk about. I think the all-time weirdest for me is seeing Keith Hernandez in a Cleveland Indians uniform. You know, I think that Keith feels the same way. I remember, I think it was towards the very end of his tenure, uh, it, it, before he retired, that he was in a, um, he was uh, playing for the Indians. I remember seeing the replays of this, of him being like on second base and uh, like a pickoff throw came in and he dove back. Uh, no, no, that's not it. He was running and he pulled a hamstring around second base and it looked like he had been shot. Yeah. He collapsed. So it looked like somebody had like shot him in the leg because he was just running and then he was just down. Yep. I, I remember seeing that because, you know, it was pre-internet. So yeah. on the news, they would still sometimes talk about former, you know, former Mets. Yeah. So if you were watching like, you know, the 11 o'clock, you know, NBC News and they get to the sports, they would say, hey, and our old friend Keith Hernandez. And I remember seeing that in some context. And Keith, to this day, has basically said, like, basically that, that ended his career. Yeah. That was basically the end of it. Um, and he's, he, whenever you get a Mets game where there's a blowout, um, and he sort of starts talking about that, he really regrets. And I get the sense he really regrets making that move. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, And when you're a baseball player, the, the end never seems like it's, it's really coming. And, you know, there were a lot of rumors this week um, that Bartolo Colon was thinking about hanging things up, although that may mm -hmm. have just been overeager um, uh, writers jumping on a comment that he made about about really not being happy with his previous start. And I think if I read what he said uh, correctly, he said something like, you never know when you've hit the end of the road, but who knows? We'll see what happens with my next start, meaning... You know, I could go out there next time and it could be fine. And then that somehow got twisted into if he doesn't do well in his next start, he's hanging it up. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, it, it feels like, I don't know, maybe we're just getting older or maybe it's that the changes that the Internet have wrought where every website now has to have stories about things. But it seems like every tiny little thing becomes fodder for a rumor, a post, a story. And the number of times that I'll look at, I'll follow a link about some story about, you know, oh, this might happen or this, someone is talking about this trader or, you know, someone's looking at this. And what you find is a single tweet that then some website has padded out with seven paragraphs of speculation. Right. And the, the thing about it is there's, there's so much of it that it's impossible to hold anybody accountable for it. And it's the, yeah. you know, the beauty of the internet is that, you know, dopes like you and I can <laughs> start a podcast and talk about the Mets. But also the downside is that dopes like us can start a podcast yeah. and talk about the Mets because the barrier to entry is so low 
that you really gotta pick your source as well. And if you're listening to this, I appreciate you picking this source. Look, I'm biased, but I think this is the best source for a casual Mets conversation. Um, but we're not gonna give you trade rumors because I'll be the first one to admit, I'm reading the same sources as everybody else. I don't know anything more than what I read, and I tend to be suspicious of just about everything I read. Which is probably a good plan. So let's, um, you know what, let's talk about, you know, it's been two weeks since we've last officially sat down to talk about the Mets, and even a little bit longer. For those of you uh, keeping score of these things at home, this is a rare Tuesday recording day for Flushing Transit Authority. Up to this point, we've generally kept the recordings to Saturdays with the occasional Friday, mm-hmm. but we're working on Tuesday today. Um, we had some, uh, some travel issues over the weekend. And, and this one uh, is, really, uh, is really my fault, and uh, it's my, I'll take the responsibility for the delay here. I was uh, traveling. I was down in, at, in San Diego at uh, San Diego Comic-Con for a, a work obligation, um, and we tried to do the long-distance recording, and it didn't, it didn't quite work. But um, the really interesting being at a five-day-long fan um, event uh, to, to start to see a lot of the similarities between pop culture fandom and baseball fandom. I uh, kept my eyes out for any kind of crossover. There were a lot of baseball bats uh, at Comic-Con this year, as, as there were last year. Um, unfortunately, uh, I think most of those baseball bats were either related to um, Harley Quinn from the movie Suicide Squad or Negan uh, from The Walking Dead, uh, who likes to use a bat studded with nails. Um, so there were a lot, a lot of those. Uh, the best piece of cosplay I saw, though, for the whole con was I saw someone in a Rockford Peaches uniform from the movie um, A League of Their Own. Fantastic. Fantastic. And oh, that I told is great. Him, like, he walked by, and I was like, that's awesome. That um, is great. Yeah. I love when somebody does sort of a, you know, it's one thing to sort of, you know, have a costume from a recent movie, but I love seeing stuff from classic movies, and I think that movie definitely counts as a classic baseball movie. Absolutely. It is. Um, I don't cosplay when I go because it's it's a little too uh, too involved. But I do like to take time to curate a very specific selection of off the beaten path uh, related T-shirts. Sure. And I realized I realized uh, to my chagrin that what I didn't do, which I should have done. So uh, Comic-Con is in San Diego. It's in the San Diego Convention Center, which is right across the street from Petco Park. And Petco Park um, hosts several related events. Mm -hmm. And man, I wonder what happens one year if the Padres screw up their schedule and they're in town during (laughs) Comic-Con. That would be just a nightmare. But what I should have done, and I didn't realize it until until Monday, is I should have worn my San Diego Padres t-shirt with the name Ginny Baker on the back for the uh, the TV, the the early early canceled TV show pitch, which we lost uh, earlier this year, which yeah. uh, I was a huge fan of, and and I just I'm mad at myself that I didn't think to to wear that in San Diego. Yeah, I really enjoyed pitch. I thought that it was it was really well done. I thought that the the performances in it were terrific, and I found the the baseball. Very believable. I really enjoyed it. Better than most uh, baseball um, uh, action on screen. Uh, although not, I mean, it's it's easy to see where it doesn't match. But but they did a really good job. If anything, the, I think the fatal flaw of that show, and I was really worried about it when I heard about it, is their, uh, and we may have talked about this before, their official partnership with Major League Baseball meant that they weren't actually going to ever delve into anything all that serious yeah. uh, that could shed, shed poor light on the league. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that they, if, it, if I were making a show like that, I would want to talk more about sort of, hey, what do players do in between games and what do players do on the road? And they really didn't get into that. And who knows, that could be in a, in a mythical second season that we're never yeah. going to get. That we're never going to get, unfortunately, So, uh, which is sad. So since we last spoke, a couple of other things. So while you were at the pop culture all-star game in San Diego, 
the Major League Baseball All-Star Game happened, which I ignored because uh, I just I can't I just can't be bothered with the with an exhibition yeah. anymore. I think I tuned in for for an inning in the middle because I I saw on Twitter that that uh, Michael Conforto got in the game. Um, yes. But outside of that, I didn't really pay any attention, and you know I was I don't like that Thursday off day after the All-Star break. You know, we grew up where, you know, Monday there are some festivities. There's, you know, the home run contest. Tuesday's the game. Wednesday's a day off travel day. Games pick up on Thursday. And now you've got two days post-All-Star game, which for me are the dullest sports days of the year because there's no, um, there's no baseball. And yeah. everything else is off-season, and it's pretty, um, it's pretty uh, dead. But that's all in the past. The games are back. Um, you know, they came into the second half. Sandy Alderson said it's going to take a major change for mm-hmm. the Mets to move from being uh, sellers to being buyers. And I think despite the fact that they've actually won five out of their last six games... It's too little too late. You know, we're in the second half. We are sellers. Um, Not me. I'm not a member of the organization, but (laughs) the Mets are sellers. So we got to have that hard conversation. Who's not going to be here next week? You know, this past Sunday was the last home game before the trade deadline. Have we seen the last of a number of people in a Mets uniform? I think we have, and I, I'm just uh, I, I, no one's been traded today uh, or yesterday, which I actually I'm glad about because the last thing I thought would be fair to anyone would be if they had to deal with a Willie Randolph situation where you get on a on a flight uh, from the west from the east coast to the west coast and you get in in the middle of the night only to discover you have been traded right away. Right, um, right. So that hasn't happened. But, you know, I, I find myself, I mean, this time every year, I'm always checking MLBTradeRumors.com several times a day. But usually it's about who are we going to get, who are we going to get. And, and it's kind of weird to be as excited as I am to see, like, okay, who are we getting rid of? Who are we getting rid of? Because we know it's going to happen. And it's just, you know, it's like waiting for the inevitable. Like, I just, it's it's... It's like that when you were a kid, I don't know, maybe you didn't have this experience, but I remember when I was a kid, it's that last week of summer before school comes back where you're like, you know what, this is over already, let's just get on with it. Like it's coming, I'm sitting here waiting for the hammer to come down, let's just get on with it already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's going to happen at any time. Um, and I'm enjoying seeing all the, the, it seems like there's been an uptick in the past couple of days, uh, in some of the rumors. So, you know, maybe something will happen quickly. You know, I've started to get very protective of the players who I really like and not even in terms of sort of where they are on the field or, you know, where they are in terms of their play, but there are just people on the team who I've really grown to enjoy seeing them. And I'm, I'm talking specifically about people who came up through the organization. And yeah. it's like, I, I said on Twitter earlier today, like, please don't get rid of any of my precious babies. <laughs> yes. I think about like, you know, I think about Wilmer Flores, you know, and I'm like, yeah. and, and, and Conforto, um, and, you know, and other, you know, any of the pitcher, you know, DeGrom. And I, and I look and I say like, man, I've really, I feel like I've watched these, these players grow up. I mean, I'm older than all of them. And yes. I feel like I've, I've watched them, I've watched them grow up and mature and, and, and succeed and have great moments. And, um, and in, a, in a way, like, I feel like I'm invested in their future, you know, because I am and from an emotional standpoint. And it's like, oh, if, if some of them are leaving, like, I wish them well, but yeah. I will feel like I'm losing a friend. So, like you, I'm watching all of the, um, I'm watching all of the news, and you know, not watching the news. What is this, 1975? I'm not watching the news. I'm reading. I'm on the internet. I'm on MLBTrade, you know, rumors.com. 
I'm going to, you know, people who, people with who at least reputations you can trust, you know, is what is Ken Rosenthal saying? Um, mm-hmm. You know, look at the people who, you know, what are the Mets beat writers saying? Um, those are always good places to look. But, you know, I'm in the dark. You know, today I've convinced myself of the fact that um, Jerry Blevins is going to go. Um, oh. I've convinced myself that Jay Bruce is not going to go. Um, and Lucas Duda is. Yeah, that sounds about right. I've been shocked at how little uh, it seems. Also, I mean, the other layer to this is like the the, the, the beat writers and the outlets have to create a narrative out of this stuff. Right. And so I'm always, I'm always intrigued by the things about like, if you look at language that describes like increasing interest, working on a trade, like, like how do they know someone is working on a trade? You know, like, like, like they sort of create these impression of forward movement of progress and regression when a lot of times we're just like sitting around speculating. So, you know, who knows? You know, but I mean, if you're a beat writer and all of a sudden you see Sandy Alderson answer his cell phone and leave the room, you got to wonder, <laughs> hey, yeah. is that, you know, is, is Sandy talking to trade or is, it, or is his weed guy on the phone? Like, who knows? <laughs> um, but, you know, you got to create a story. You know, we live yeah. in, a, in a time where, you know, basically our media is based on clickbait. You need to have yeah. something to get somebody to click that link. Or what are you in business for? Um, right. And, you know, it's, we live at a different age. I mean, I think about, again, not to always be, hey, we're old people and talk about mm-hmm. how it used to be. But, you know, a game, a game was played on Tuesday and you read about it in Wednesday's paper. You know, the, mm-hmm. the thing that really changed that was sports radio. And I was thinking about it because I was watching the, the Mike and the Mad Dog 30, ESPN 30 for 30 the other day. And they really highlighted the way that changed the media landscape. And I think us as Mets fans really benefited from the fact that WFAN, you know, was the Mets station. I know the Yankees mm-hmm. are on FAN now, and I still can't accept that in my brain. Like, yeah, me neither. In my head, I'm like, no, no, it's, it's, it's always the Mets station. It's always, but it's not. And, but the fact that, like, we lived... You know, our team was on the station that had the biggest sports radio personality. And you realize, like, they make a point in the documentary that the Mike Piazza deal may never have happened if not for WFAN. Yeah. If not for people putting public pressure on the team, um, it, uh, it may never have happened. You know, because I remember a couple of days before that, Steve Phillips basically saying, you know, we're, we're not going to make a deal. We can't make it happen. I think this right. was actually before the Marlins trade happened. But you realize, like, oh, like, that was the point where the, um, the, the landscape changed a little bit. And it's funny. I feel like it's easier to tune out the Internet. I think the Mets as an organization probably don't pay a lot of attention to what people are saying on Twitter. Probably not. I mean, I'm trying to imagine what if that same situation happened now, like like the army of Todd Hundley truthers that would take to Twitter to be like defending Todd Hundley and being like, why would you make this deal? And Todd Hundley is a great catcher and he hit all these home runs like this is stupid. If the Twitter, if the Internet has given us one thing, it has given us that no matter what anybody does about anything, there will be an army of people to say that's stupid. Yes. And now I worked for years in social media, both as far as you know, social media outreach and social media analytics. And I can tell you from experience, when something becomes people just saying this is stupid or you should do this, it becomes noise and you create filters to block it. You know, People yeah. can say it, but I never have to read it. Um, so whoever's, whoever's monitoring social media for the Mets, I'm sure that they take all of that and, you know, Sandy Alderson is not running down to that employee's desk because it's an employee, not an intern. Stop saying interns are doing social media, but there's a well-paid employee 
who is basically saying to somebody on the PR team, somebody who works for Jay Horowitz, like, hey, here's, here's the buzz. But Sandy Alderson's not running down there to ask, hey, right. what, is, what is Will Stegman saying we should do um, about Jerry Blevins? And that actually is a mistake. They should have you on speed dial. I really if, should be involved you know, in these things. You really uh, should. You're an important voice. I want to put my two cents in. Sandy Alderson, if you're listening to this, or if any member of the Mets front office is listening to this, hold on to Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> I don't care what another team is going to offer. Jacob DeGrom is possibly the most underrated pitcher in the National League right now. Um, I love Jacob DeGrom. I just, there's just no two <laughs> ways about it. I, I just, you, it's taken everybody else going down to really, for me to really appreciate what he does, um, the work that he puts in, and the fact that I think he wants to be a Met. I think he's, I think he likes this team. You know, he, he likes being a part, you know, being in New York. I would, you can trade anybody on the team and I would probably get over it. Um, but trading Jacob deGrom would really suck. I really, there's just no other words for me to describe it. It would really suck if Jacob deGrom was not a Met after July 31st. It would, it would. However, just as a thought experiment, what mm. if they traded Jacob deGrom and got back Giancarlo Stanton? <sighs> it's tough. I'm not saying that could happen. Okay, I, but I, I, it I, wouldn't. You know. However, yeah. you we've talked about this before. I'll always take an everyday player over a pitcher. Yes. Um, yes. In that case. <laughs> yeah. So you know, in a vacuum, we don't want to trade Jacob Degrom, but no. like if they got back like a haul, you'd you'd have to consider it. Um, I can't remember which of the which of the beat writers or which of the writers I saw um, proposed this. But here's another one I want to I want to get your two cents on, and this kind of connects to what we talked about last time a little bit. I saw somebody suggesting that the Mets should trade. I mean, if there's one person who we know is getting traded, it's Addison Reed. Yes. Um, and you know, Godspeed. I I'm a big fan, but you know, he's got a lot of value. Somebody will pay with a high level prospect. For Addison Reed, we got to make that deal. So one of the one of the writers was advocating that they trade Reed to the Nationals because, apart from you know helping the Nationals win, which we talked about last time, um, it's also taking a high level prospect from the National system, which weakens them later. That's actually, and I was like, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. I'd be fine with that. That's pretty smart. That's yeah. I will say that that's we've been Mets fans for a long time. That's that's three D chess, which we know the Mets <laughs> don't play. No, like, no, they barely play two D chess. I, I I love the thinking. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, I think Reed's um, you know spotty outing last night, um, notwithstanding, Reed is a is a proven arm. Um, Reed is going to end up on a contender and good yeah. for him. He's been, you know, for the Mets, he has been a gamer. He has been a, you know, a good team player, despite the fact that he increasingly looks like David Wright with his head shaved. Um, <laughs> it's, always, it's always a little confusing when you do like a quick pan of the dugout and you're like, hey, why does David Wright have no hair? Oh, wait, no, that's Addison Reed. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, what... What need do the Mets have right now for, you know, for a closer or even if Familia was here for, you know, an eighth inning guy in Reed? He's yeah. expendable. Um, yeah. And he could bring back a return. Jerry Blevins, I've, I've looked, this, this podcast, if nothing else, is a Jerry Blevins fan podcast. I love Jerry <laughs> Blevins. He's, he's been terrific since the day he got here. I know he was injured, but whenever he's been on the field, he's delivered. Um, did you happen to see the, um, Instagram that Curtis Granderson posted from, uh, the team plane, uh, yes. on the way to San Diego? Yes, I did. In which Jerry, Jerry Blevins is wearing a bow tie. Mm-hmm. 
Fantastic. That's that's styling. That's gotta increase your trade value. Um, <laughs> but I think he's great. And again, the one thing I wish for all of these players is that they end up on contenders and they get a ring. Like I feel yeah. a little bit of a little bit of happiness if the Mets can't have it. Um, some of my favorite players can have it. Um, and then you know we get to the we get to position players. There's a good chance that Cabrera ends up someplace. Again, Cabrera is a veteran, can play several positions. He's got an option for next year. Um, he makes sense. Cabrera is the one I want them to deal sooner rather than later. I'm yeah. like, that's the guy who I'm checking every day to see have they traded him yet. Not because of the, you know, malcontent, you know, comments about not wanting to be there when they moved him, but because the minute they trade Cabrera, the next move is to bring up Rosario. Exactly. Get, get that roadblock out of the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm with you there. I think that Cabrera, again, another guy who came in here with not a lot of expectations, has delivered and then some. He's been terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, look, if, if I suddenly got told tomorrow, after years of me doing one job, that all of a sudden I had to move to something else, I would be upset too, you know? Yeah, me too. If you're a player, you know, your livelihood is at stake. And, you know, if you feel like you're less valuable as a second baseman, well, yeah, complain about it. But I know he's been playing a little bit of third base, and that's purely a to-increase-his-trade-value move. It's be able to say to somebody, oh, yeah, he can fill in at three positions for you. So the trade deadline, the non-waiver trade deadline is in a week. Yeah. And... So the, by, the nec- by the next time we record this podcast, the deadline will have passed. However, I would not be surprised if some of the players that the Mets are, are trying to trade, I think Jay Bruce specifically, uh, and maybe Cabrera, and definitely Neil Walker, are candidates to be traded after the non-waiver trade deadline yes. in August. Mm-hmm. Their contracts are big enough that they'll probably get through waivers. So I would not be surprised if the only people the Mets deal before the July uh, 31st trading deadline are Cabrera and Reed and maybe Duda. Maybe Duda gets traded beforehand. Maybe he gets traded after uh, in August. But I would not be shocked to see Walker traded in August. I would not be shocked to see Bruce traded in August. Bruce, I think, is the most interesting August um, candidate because you see a lot of teams now who are like, oh, I don't know if we want to take on that money. There are better options. But, you know, in a month, you're still, when in, it. Yep. You're still in it and the, the options out there have dwindled, he may become a much more attractive candidate for okay. a trade. Well, we could talk more about what this team is going to look like. But first, I want to take a quick moment here because we actually have a sponsor um, that is specifically geared towards the trading deadline. Um, and this is pretty cool. This is something that I could have used many times in my life. So we've got an exciting sponsor here, and it is for New York Mets trade insurance. Now, I don't know if you've heard about this, but with the trade line fast approaching, it's time to ask yourself, do you have trade insurance? Trade insurance is new from the Mets team store. Now, here's what the Mets are going to do for you. If you buy any player's jersey, t-shirt, or other branded merchandise between now and the trade deadline, and that player goes to another team, trade insurance will replace your merchandise at no charge. I'm going to ask yourself, as a Mets fan of the trade deadline, you can't afford not to have this. I mean, if I had this back in the 90s, I wouldn't be stuck with a bunch of Bobby Bonilla jerseys. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, like, I still have my Mo Vaughn t-shirt right? that, you know, like, I could have I unloaded that. I mean, or at least traded it in. Yeah. Basically, trade it in. You, whoever, I think the way it works is the first option is for whoever replaces the player that got traded. Yeah. You can get that player's jersey or for a small fee, pick up another one. Regardless, my question is: My question is: Is does the insurance policy then transfer to the new player? So, like, let's say, for argument's sake, I had bought a Kevin Apier jersey, and I had bought 
trade insurance on that. Mm -hmm. And then when they traded Apier for Mo Vaughn, and if I then invoked my insurance and traded my Apier jersey and got a Vaughn jersey instead, could I then could I then later on trade that Vaughn jersey in, or do, would I need to buy a whole new policy on the Vaughn jersey? I think I'm reading the fine print here on the offer. I look, I just they just gave me this ad copy today, yeah. and a, and a really big check. Like, I <laughs> I mean, we're gonna be rolling in it. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be able to afford the fancy headphones after this. It's going to be great. New microphones. It's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be the best sounding podcast you ever heard. Um, but they're pretty clear that it's non-transferable. It is for a single uh, player only. Okay, that makes sense. It's sort of like you gotta you gotta factor it in. Like I guess Apple Care when you buy a new iPhone or you new any kind of iDevice. You know, you always gotta. Pony up the extra money for Apple Care for that device is not transferable, but it's a no-brainer. Absolutely, yeah. Because I just used my Apple Care two weeks ago. I bought it years ago. I was like, oh, I'm never going to need this. Oh, you know what? Last week I needed it. Fantastic. Yeah. To have. yeah. Well, so, I'm always gonna going forward. I'm always gonna buy uh, trade insurance on anything I buy from the Mets team store. It just it just makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's and actually you can buy like basically a full season's worth. So if mm. there are deals made in spring training, basically you're covered. You're good. That's great. So what I'm thinking, though, is what I did was I put money down on an individual player. I bought the insurance for Jay Bruce because I have a really nice set of Jay Bruce pajamas that I like to wear. And Swanky. we are all of the opinion that Jay Bruce is probably going to move. He's not under contract next year. He's having a great season. Um, if he stays on the Mets, he could very well set the Mets team home run record, which is still um, only, only, I say only 41 home runs, like I could hit 42. But right. it's 41. It's um, held by, uh, actually, a tie of uh, Todd Hundley and Carlos Beltran. Um, Jay Bruce could well break that record if he stays on the team. He'll most he's he'll almost certainly break his personal home record home run record of 34 as long as he stays healthy knock on wood let's hope he does but we're all assuming that jay bruce is gonna leave look i'm a big fan of just guys named jay in general we'll just be oh, clear thank here you. <laughs> um, oh, that's right that's your name too Shocker. <laughs> but what if jay bruce doesn't get traded you're covered either way. Like you, either way, you win. Uh, he he leaves and you're covered. He stays and he's still still on the team. And his pajamas are still great. But yeah, if Jay Bruce finishes this season as a member of the New York Mets, do you think the New York Mets should open the bank to pay Jay Bruce? That is a that is an interesting question, and you know. The closer that gets to being a real choice and the less abstract that is, the harder it is to, to decide. Because to me, it's bound up inextricably in what you do with Michael Conforto. Because if you sign Jay Bruce, that means Michael Conforto is playing center field for the next three years. Unless, of course, Ioannis Cespedes' bullpen session the other day is indicative of his new career as a relief pitcher. <laughs> and I don't think anybody expects that to happen. But if you sign Bruce, that means Conforto is your center fielder. Yes. And all things being equal, that would not be my preferred outfield configuration. We've talked at length about how the defense on this team is not wonderful and that I would be much happier if they would put some players in spots where they can get comfortable and can succeed and not play them out of position. And mm -hmm. to me, that means putting Michael Conforto in right field and getting somebody who is an actual everyday center fielder. Now, that being said, if you ask me, would I rather have um, an outfield of Cespedes in left, um, Juan Lagares in center and Michael Conforto in right versus an outfield of Cespedes, Conforto, and Bruce, 
I might be willing to live with Conforto in center field. Yes. Um, I just don't want that to damage his long-term prospects. Right. I think we're missing the big piece of this. Well, you know what? Not the big piece, but there's an unpopular opinion that I'm going to share here that okay. I think Mets fans are not going to agree with me, but I think that it's the best thing for the team long-term Yoannis Cespedes belongs in the American League. Oh. Okay. Yoannis Cespedes' body cannot handle the wear and tear of playing left field every day. Certainly not center field. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's not going to happen this season, but if you are the Mets front office and an American League team comes knocking on your door and says, hey, we'll offer you a boatload of prospects for you in a Cespedes, take the deal. Yeah. Because I feel like we're going to see diminishing returns from Cespedes. Look, he's been hurt. I, res- I respect and I admire his, his desire to get on the field and the fact that he wants to play and he wants to play through injuries and I hate seeing Ray Ramirez come out there and have to check on his hamstring three times a game. But either Cespedes needs to just sit down until spring and heal up completely, or he needs to go somewhere where he can DH. Because Yoannis I, I, Cespedes is a joy to watch in the plate, at the plate. And you know what? I, I like seeing him play the outfield because he is so just, you know, he's got... He's, he's a smart baseball player. You know, he, mm-hmm. he knows what he's doing out there. He's, but I just don't think his body's going to hold up. And I worry that we're going to end up um, seeing diminishing returns. And I think for his career, long-term, I know he wants to play in the... I know he wants to play and I know he wants to contribute. But long-term, best place for him to be is on an American League team DHing and you know maybe play in the outfield once a week to give somebody a break. I'm not ready to say that yet. I think he gets he gets one more shot, and by one more shot I mean 2018. Mm-hmm. I think that that the message has been received. There was already a big article uh, this week about Noah Syndergaard totally changing his training regimen and kind of admitting that what he was doing beforehand was the wrong way to go as far as building muscle mm-hmm. and that now he's he's changed his regimen so it's much more focused on flexibility and endurance and we can only hope that that same uh, approach uh, can, will be taken up uh, for the rest of this year in the off season by Cespedes because you know, the two of them really were a victim this year of this mentality of bulking up. Mm-hmm. And I can only hope that an offseason following the, you know, as we joked in a previous episode, the Bartolo Cologne training regimen, um, where you're not worried about the percentage of body fat, mm-hmm. um, that you're focused more on how flexible you are and how uh, how much endurance you have, that... I would not be surprised to see Yoannis Cespedes come back next season as the player that we saw in 2015. I, I absolutely hope that you're right. Um, because, again, he's still, to me, you know, appointment viewing. When he comes up to the plate, I stop what I'm doing. Um, yeah. I love to see him. I hope that we get to see him play, you know, 150 games for the length of this contract and maybe some more. Because, again, I think he's terrific. Um, you know, but that's just my unpopular opinion. I know that there aren't a lot of Mets fans who want to see him go, and I don't want to see him go, but I think if you're the Mets, you've got to listen if somebody, um, if somebody makes you an offer. Speaking of unpopular opinions, and we haven't talked about this in a little bit, but uh, you know, as we creep closer to the end of the season that we know is not going to end well and uh, starting to make plans for 2018... What do they do about David Wright? I, again, it's one of those things where he's got all the leverage here. Because whatever the Mets say, you know, he's, he's got a guaranteed contract. It's the, the beauty of baseball. Unlike the NFL, 
where basically you can get cut and walk away with nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Baseball and the NBA, um, it's, got a, it's guaranteed money. So David Wright can simply say, oh, no, I'm just going to sit here and collect my money. And mm-hmm. who's going to fault him for that? It's his money. He signed the contract. The Mets offered him that contract. He signed it. How many years left are, are on that I contract? I want to say there are two years to go. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, an ideal, I think it's unlikely that David Wright ever gets back on the field. Um, there, he's had too many injuries between injuries and age and just, um, just the erosion of skills because of time. We're not going to see David Wright in the field. I would be shocked if we saw him on the field again. Um, with that in mind, you know, the Mets could offer him a buyout they could, or they could offer him a, a Benilla deal. But why would he take that? I mean, I'm all for, like, take, take all of the money that you were owed. And, you know, if that means that David Wright's eating up, um, you know, budget and, you know, basically eating up a space, even though he's on the disabled list, so not officially, you know, part of the 40-man roster, um, that's his right. I'm never going to tell somebody that they should take a, take a buyout or retire or leaving money off the table. You know, we can't all be Michael Kadire. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, that Michael Kadire did such an unexpected thing by leaving you know, many millions of dollars on the table that, that he was entitled to. Which could be responsible um, for a UN assessment as being a Met. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It just sort of feels like as much as we want right back on the field, that with, with him continually in limbo, it, it's sort of like he's the captain in a in abstention yeah. like and nobody else can fill that role and you know i don't know if we talked about this last time but i was really surprised to see there was an article that talked about where uh bartolo mentioned that nobody on the mets reached out to him about coming back like none of the players reached out to him and that i mean it's really easy to sort of blow that out of proportion but you know this is a podcast. What do we do other than blow things out of proportion? So right. it, that would seem to be indicative of a clubhouse culture where people are not pulling together, that people, everyone's minding their own corner and nobody is, you know, and I wonder if that's the sort of thing in the past where like David Wright would be the person to say, Hey, we're going to do this. So, you know, make sure you mm-hmm. do this. Um, and without him there, who is, who is the camp counselor, right. yeah. you know, who is the, uh, in fact, that might be one argument, um, for keeping Jay Bruce and re-signing him yeah. that if you sign Jay Bruce to a three year deal, uh, to be a right fielder, like he instantly becomes the veteran leader in the clubhouse with the tenure to um to do that job yeah and you may not put a you know a captain c on his uniform um yeah but you know i've always i've always liked um you know having that veteran presence on the team you know be it you know estrubal cabrera who i think has brought that um you know david wright obviously or jay bruce would fit into that role you know fantastically you know i really would love to see um, you know, some of the not-so-young-anymore pitchers step up and do that. I mean, you know, is Matt Harvey ever going to become, you know, a leader on the team? I don't know that Matt Harvey's a leader in his own life. I don't know. Matt Harvey is the team's union rep, and he, you know, went out of his way saying he wanted that job. Oh, you know what? So, I, I wasn't know. aware of that. I, I, I rescind but, my, uh, my argument. But the other part of that is that it's hard for traditionally it's been difficult for pitchers mm-hmm. to play that role in the clubhouse, that it usually has to be an everyday player. Um, so, you know, if if he were a few years younger and he had more time on the team, it would be Curtis Granderson. Oh, yes. Um, but he's just not – You know, and I don't know if you saw this article uh, in the past week that – that he's potentially thinking about retiring at the end of this year. Anything Curtis wants to do is okay with me. <laughs> you, you, uh, that is, I believe, 
I believe that is our podcast yes, policy. You know, I, like whenever Curtis I will gets. stand for Curtis Granderson until uh, <laughs> until baseball uh, disappears. So on yes. that note, we should probably wrap it up here. Just a Okey quick doke. closing remark. The trade deadline always reminds me of people who were Mets for a brief period of time. And a Met who I forgot was ever a Met. You remember that Trot Nixon played for the Mets? You know, you when you sent me that in the email, I was like, no, no, that never happened. Yeah. Because I, I remember Trot Nixon as the guy that every time there was a rumored yep. deal between the Red Sox and the Mets, Trot Nixon was mm-hmm. involved. But I don't remember him actually ever coming to he the team. He came to the team later. Um, wow. Other sort of lesser-known Mets, uh, Jim Leyritz was a Met. Uh, Jim, I for, totally, forgot, totally forgot about Jim Leyritz being a Met. I'm sure if we... Speaking of... Uh, Ex-Yankees, I, I forgot I, until I just looked it up earlier today that Ricky Lede was on the Mets for a while. I don't remember that one. Uh, and Graham Lloyd, if you remember the tall Australian relief pitcher, Graham Lloyd. Those are two guys who I think of as Yankees, yeah. but they both played for the Mets. You may also remember that I want to say it was in 84, at the end of his career, Larry Bowe was briefly a Met. I do vaguely yes. remember that. Yes. yes. And of course. And then going even further back before kind of this is before our time, but I didn't realize that Doc Ellis pitched for the Mets for a year. He did. As did before yeah. our time, Mickey Lolich pitched for the Mets. <laughs> if wow. only my dad were still here to have this conversation, because he could list yeah. short lived Mets <laughs> until the day uh, until the sun goes down. But speaking of which, I think the sun is coming down on this episode. Jay, it's always a pleasure to talk Mets with you. We'll do this again soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and let's see where we are after next week. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.